0: Hey everyone, and thank you for listening to the very first episode of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing. Really, really appreciate you all for tuning in. I couldn't have asked for a better guest to kick off this podcast. In this episode, I chat with Alex Jaheen. Alex Shaheen is the director of product marketing at one of the fastest growing telemedicine companies, Him's and Hers. And he is going to give us a behind the scenes look at how the team successfully launched their newest mental health product offering. Next week, we have another really exciting guest, Meg Donovan. She is the director of brand and product marketing over at Uber. So, should be another really great conversation. This podcast is to raise the profile of consumer product marketing and bring more content to the forefront for everyone. So if you have any feedback, ideas, or even want to be on the show, we would really love to hear from you. Feel free to connect over LinkedIn or shoot us an email at podcasts at sharebird.com and let us know what you think this podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird is a place to discover on-demand content for your product marketing peers. There are so many great resources on there. There's a job site, AMAs, so definitely go check it out. But enough from me. Let's dive in and get a behind-the-scenes look. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and today we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most well-known telemedicine companies, Hims and Hers. You might be familiar with their infamous Cheeky Subway ads for men's hair loss and erectile dysfunction that really put them on the map. But today, we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at their most recent launch of mental health products. So really excited. Many of us have probably experienced that moment when your executive team asks you to figure out how to go to market with a completely new product in a brand new category with not much in the space to date. You start with rigorous, competitive and desktop research to get an initial hypothesis, and then you start exploring potential concepts, get them in front of customers, both quantitatively and quantitatively to understand, one, who your customers are and really what they want, their needs and behaviors. One of the most important skill sets as a product marketer is going from insights to impact, and that's really what we're going to be diving in today and discussing. But before that, for those who might not be as familiar with HIMS & HERS, HIMS & HERS is a telemedicine for all things men's and women's health. And telemedicine, what that really means is it provides the opportunity to get expert guidance from medical providers along with prescription and non-prescription products shipped directly to you without having to go to the doctor's office hims and hers product offers span across many areas such as hair loss sexual health skincare, and now mental health in just three years hims and hers has become one of the fastest growing direct-to-consumer brands in history they've raised well over 200 million in funding but more importantly Hims and Hers has really made it their mission to eliminate stigmas around sexual health and other conditions that impact people's daily lives that are not always easy to talk about, and that's really where the work of consumer product marketing comes in. To give us a bit of behind-the-scenes look into how Hims and Hers brought their new category of mental health products to market, I'm here with Alex Shaheen. Alex Shaheen is the director of product marketing at Hims and Hers and has led Hims and Hers through many product launches to date. Before this, he was the head of core writer product marketing at Lyft and led product marketing for various loyalty features at, at American Express before that. So safe to say Alex has been in consumer product marketing for quite some time and has a wealth of expertise. So we're really fortunate to have Alex here. And Alex, you know, thank you so much. It's, it's great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Meredith. It's great to be here.
0: So where am I finding you in the world right now, as everyone is off in many different places, uh, given the pandemic?
1: You are finding me smack dab in the middle of my fiddle leaf fig and birds of paradise. They are giving me much joy in the front room of my working from home situation in San Francisco.
0: That's great. You know, I actually had two fiddle leaf figs and a lot of people don't know that they're one of the most finicky plants.
1: Oh my gosh, they really should be called fickle leaf figs because (laughs) we've had so many die on us.
0: Yeah, I do not have a green thumb, but I envy you for having one.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Awesome. So, just so first to uh, kick us off, you know, you've been in consumer in the consumer product marketing space for quite some time now, and yet the road to discovery or the journey into product marketing is really not as clear cut as a lot of other roles. So, would love to just hear a bit about your career path to becoming a product marketer.
1: Absolutely. Well I'll I'll start with something confusing, which is I really have three characters to thank. I have Uh, Prince Charming from Cinderella, Captain Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, and Captain Hook from Peter Pan to thank for ending up in marketing. Now, that sounds weird. uh, I love those personas. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So the the connection is those are all roles that I played in in, uh, high school musicals when I was growing up, which really started my love for understanding two things. One is how Do you use that right brain? How do you flex that creativity and bring it into the work that you do? And two, how do you engage an audience? Because what a lot of people don't understand is with live theater, you are really doing this give and take Dance reading the audience the whole way, and how that carried through is I, I went to school. I, I went to uh, the University of P- uh, Pennsylvania undergrad to the Wharton School, and I had so many contemporaries going into finance as a profession, going into management consulting. And I just I remember one night I was staring at my finance textbook, and I called my parents and I said, "I guys, I I don't think I can do this. Like finance, investment banking is right for a lot of people." Not right for me, because I was just missing that right brain side of it, that Captain Hook, Captain Von Trappen, Prince Charming had had taught me to really come to love. And and what I found was as I started taking these marketing courses at Penn, all about things like how do you make things go viral and get people talking? How do you make people more likely to buy when they're in your store? Uh, What is the psychology of a consumer when you're trying to win them over? That's where I found my sweet spot. And and from there, it's really history. That that got me into an American Express internship where I started understanding how do big companies do product marketing really well? You think of some of their classic products like the gold, green, platinum cards. I was in their world-renowned loyalty program, membership rewards. And it really taught me how do you engage customers at a massive scale with products that they love From there, though, you know, I went from one category that a lot of people use every day, financial instruments, to transportation, exactly as you said, went over to Lyft. And we had to think about how do you make something that is not naturally super compelling, like getting from point A to point B, something that people really love. And we did that in the the brands we built around our products at Lyft. We made people really come to love their transportation. About a year ago, I said, I want to do this again. I want to join another industry that has the power to shape people's lives every day and and is a product that they can use frequently and, and where there is a lot of room to grow. And that's what got me to hims and hers. What I would encourage people to think about is think about what your life was like before you had food delivery apps or before you had rideshare. That first time you pushed a button and a car showed up, you're like, oh my gosh, why did I ever do it the old way? That's what we're trying to do with healthcare and with telemedicine. We want you to feel how convenient it is to take care of yourself such that you never want to look
0: back. I love that. I really do. And I think the the high school acting is such a great example for having to quickly iterate based on situational awareness, right? So I think that's a great analogy. So, one thing that you mentioned is how telemedicine really has changed and people, you know, similar to the way that food delivery apps were taboo just a couple of years ago, I do think that the way consumers interact with our products uh, and our brands can be heavily impacted by social, political, and, you know, world health climates. And especially given today with the pandemic, how do you feel the last eight months have impacted the way consumers engage with HIMS and HERS products, both negatively and positively? Totally.
1: Well, I would say what we found is not that necessarily these industries are, are taboo, but that getting people to acknowledge that they want to take care of something in themselves. That's that's where we were seeing people needing to overcome hurdles. So the stigma around losing your hair, about not feeling like your normal self, when we talk about that kind of mental health category, that's where people were running into roadblocks with what they had seen in the market so far. You asked a great question about how are people's patterns changing as we all get used to living in a global pandemic. And what we've seen is the need for telemedicine has just really increased because people are not wanting to go to waiting rooms. People are not wanting to stand in lines at the pharmacy. And what we have worked to do is play up the benefits of the service and of the products to help people see exactly how we can meet those needs. So a great example is over time, we have shifted some of our messaging in lifecycle and acquisition channels to focus on convenience from home without leaving your couch, really helping people understand that they can get that care that they need without having to go run errands out in the world while they're worried about the pandemic. And you know, that leads directly into all of our work for for mental health. It is something that we have been working on for over a year at this point, but as the pandemic really started to get into full swing, that's when we realized we would have to accelerate our efforts.
0: That's awesome. And so Hims and Hers, you know, has been around for three years, but is just now entering the mental health space tell us what the impetus was for starting to explore this this category. And as a product marketer, how did you start to begin to wrap your head around the problem?
1: Fabulous question. So as we have talked a little bit about, Hims and Hers started by helping people address these stigmatized conditions. And we got the mandate from our executive team that we should explore mental health as the next frontier of this. If you think about it, what more stigmatized thing is there out there than admitting that we all want to take care of our mental health. We've gotten very used to taking care of our physical health and and mental health is really something that people are getting more and more comfortable with. That said, what we knew about mental health is there are probably many, many ways to do this wrong and very few ways to do this right. That's why we invested upfront in several rounds of research, a mix of quantitative and qualitative to understand what people needed in the market. We ended up talking to over 1300 customers, which is exactly how we got to our initial product offering.
0: Wow, that is really incredible. And kind of in in talking through the several rounds of research, I think a lot of product marketers get a little bit concerned with, do we have enough budget? I'm not a true researcher. What do you feel is a product marketer's role in research, working with stakeholders, whether you're at a large company or more of a startup?
1: I would say there are a couple scenarios to keep in mind. Scenario one might be are you do have more resources at your disposal. You have a great insights team or insights manager partner who you can work with to do really strong qualitative or quantitative research. You do have a little bit of a budget. You do have a little bit of time. In that case, what you wanna do is understand what you already do know about the customer versus what you don't and ask yourself how you're going to get to those answers. So for us, for instance, we needed to know what kinds of mental health products would people even like. Looking at the, the different products in market today it was actually a pretty tricky value proposition. If you think about it, many people have started to warm up to the idea of taking care of their mental health, they have even warmed up to the idea of talking to a therapist. But as soon as they see a price tag, they see, oh, it's going to cost me hundreds of dollars a month to figure out if I even like talking to a therapist, that's where the show stops that's where you lose customers. So we said, well, we, we don't want just the customers who have already gone to therapy. We wanna grow this market. We want to help people see the value of taking care of their mental health. So I, I had a realization. Well, if the function is I need to figure out what it's like to talk to a therapist, why don't we just scale a therapist time? That brings the cost way down. So we put people in support groups. We call them anonymous support groups because you can choose to be totally anonymous, camera off, only use the chat and not your audio, but that puts many people in front of a therapist at once to learn from them, learn about their style, to figure out if people even like it. And what we learned putting that into research is people absolutely love it. They had not heard of this in market before. They acknowledge, yes, that exactly helps me figure out, do I like talking to a therapist? And it is a great example of where you have research pay something off and validate it before you spend the time and effort to put it into market. So great. That's if you have a little more resources, a little more time. Now, what if you don't? I have product marketers all the time ask me, I don't have that money. I don't have that time. Well, the great news is there are insights all around you. You just have to know where to look. Desktop research, of course, is a great place to start find those industry reports. What are your competitors doing? Synthesize their messaging. What are they offering? But also use your own data. You probably have customer support inquiries or tickets or questions. Spend some time with your customer support team. What are the themes of what people are saying? Do you run an NPS questionnaire? What comments are people leaving? Are they different product line? What can you glean from that? Even spend some time with people in your office, it's better to do some focus groups to understand people that are in this market with people in the building than to do nothing at all. So if you don't have the time and you don't have the money to create the data, find it in clever ways around you.
0: Yes, research is so incredibly important. I love what you said there. I think having an understanding of all these different types of research that product marketers have at their disposal, you know, whether it be quant and qual, and I think it's important to understand, you know, when to use quant and qual for the different stages of product development and your business objectives. So, really interesting there. And something that you had mentioned was that mental health is taboo. And a lot of people, you know, felt like they didn't even know that they, they needed it or were looking for it or wanted it. I, I bet you found that there were a couple of different customer segments, those who, you know, weren't even looking for it, not interested, and those maybe passively curious. I'd love to hear about the kind of personas that came out of some of the research and learnings.
1: You are so, so right. What we learned talking to customers in individual interviews was that there are a few reasons that they started seeking, let's call it higher touch mental health products and services that might include things like therapy and working with a therapist, that might include psychiatry, which by the way, there are lots of terms in the space and uh, not everybody knows what every one of them means. So psychiatry, think of that as the evaluation for prescription medication for things like anxiety and depression, as it may be appropriate. What we learned is many people start those higher touch offerings because of a spiky need. One of those spiky needs might be a life event like moving to a new city, starting a new job, it might be a relationship change like a divorce or a breakup, it might be a loss of a loved one. Those are times when the pain is really acute and people will raise their hand and say you know what I really need the help from a psychiatrist and or a therapist to work through this. So We call those internally Ready Riley because they are ready for those kinds of services. On the other end of the spectrum, exactly as you mentioned, we have people on the other end of the spectrum in a more passive state. Many of you have probably felt this yourself at some point. Maybe you downloaded a new meditation app that you saw come across your feed. Maybe you uh, played around with a, a, a new kind of mental health product, but ultimately, it ended up going to the back of your phone, collecting dust until you forgot about it. It's because these customers weren't making enough progress on their own. And and what we've learned is we call these customers learningly. Learningly needs to feel a little more progress. They need more mental health tools at their disposal so that they don't end up staying in that uh, kind of churned state.
0: That's so interesting. I, I almost feel like there's like a future state here where you can be a Learning Lee and a Ready Riley at the same time, right? You know, you can have those mental health apps on your phone and support groups for constant weekly or monthly touch bases. And then, you know, also have those higher touch support moments when you deal with huge life events like relationship changes, breakups, divorces, you name it.
1: Absolutely. What what I would say too is one of the big things we learned in research, think about all the mental health offerings out there, they're spread across lots of different apps, lots of different accounts with lots of passwords you have to remember. What we did intentionally was we brought a lot of these different types of services together from that lower passive state learningly mode all the way up to ready Riley mode because of exactly that, your needs change over time. We heard that loud and clear in research so we brought them to one place.
0: I, I love this point so much. I think that once a product marketer starts to think through, you know, synthesizing the research and finding the patterns and personas, you build the personas. And at that point, you can really start thinking through the messaging and positioning. So, you know, I think the messaging and positioning building process is so important. Thinking through clear narratives for any product launch is really important to get right I know that for the mental health product launch, you really had a, a unique messaging and art direction that kind of pushed away from the typical hims and hers art direction and, and messaging strategy. So I'd love to hear a behind the scenes of how you thought through that.
1: Absolutely. Well, what we learned from this research is that there are a lot of barriers to getting started. So we talked about some things like cost. Cost often prevents people from investing in their mental health materially. But another big thing that we learned was that people felt intimidated. And so when we looked at the customer and competitive landscape, what we saw is there are a lot of different players out there that are a lot more sharp corners, bright whites, and it felt a little sterile to us. What we had heard was there was this emotional, unmet need to feel welcome, to feel warm uh, and to feel like you were being put at ease right out of the gate. So what we landed on was this art direction that you're totally right is different than other places that we have used in our marketing. If you haven't seen it yet would love for you to check it out it is this gradient kind of pattern it goes from soft purples to yellows to greens and as you move down the page it actually oscillates a little bit it it morphs to acknowledge that our mental health is is ever ebbing and flowing and and we wanted to just feel welcoming and warm out of the gate when you actually start the experience to kick off a psychiatry visit before you talk to a provider one of the first things we ask you is how you're feeling. We don't just jump right into the, tell us your medical information. Why are you here? Are you feeling anxious? We start with that very human, how are you feeling? So what we learned from all that research is people want to be welcomed in a warm way. They don't wanna feel like they're going to the sterile environment.
0: I think a lot of people have this picture in their head from Hollywood where you're on a a couch in a therapist's office and they have notes and they're just asking you, you know, tell me, how does that make you feel? And I, I think that immediately deters people who are interested in therapy. And I do think that this is a complete departure from that typical stereotype. One thing that really kind of like rings clear on your site is this idea of product education and a huge part and role of a product marketer is thinking through those product education moments, especially in topics that are not easy to talk about. How do you think through product education as a really big piece of this puzzle?
1: It's really interesting. What we found was for mental health in particular, there are the conditions that people think of immediately, and those tend to be anxiety and depression. However, even when you talk to people who have said, you know what, I think I might have some anxiety. I think I might be experiencing depression. When we ask them, what's top of mind for you, they say trouble sleeping. They don't immediately say anxiety or depression, which means it it reinforces how stigmatized this category still is. People are still nervous raise their hand and say, actually, I would like like to tackle this. They will say these work around things like, I'm not sleeping as well as I would like to at night. Here's what that told us. That told us that we cannot just go hard on anxiety and depression alone. We had to help people understand, to use your exact point through product education, that the way these mental health services can help is with a number of things. Whether you are experiencing burnout, maybe you have been feeling more drained than usual for weeks on end at work. Maybe you have been feeling more irritable around family and friends. These are all actually related to having anxiety or depression. We just don't think of it that way. And we think of those as scary, intimidating words. So we had to do a lot of this work to help people understand, how do I know this is right for me? Which of these products is right for me? Is the evidence-backed medication and working with a psychiatrist right for me? Or is one of those groups right for me? If I'm not sure where to start, you're totally right. There is a lot of helping people understand who needs what product and where to start.
0: Totally, and I think a big piece of this is trust, right? you know. It's really a process to build a relationship with therapists or with products and brands and building that trust. And I do think as a product marketer, our role in product education is to really help build that. How did you guys think through, okay, you know, we're building this new product line, new customers may not trust us at all. How did you think through building that trust through product marketing efforts?
1: Absolutely. Well, it has to start. With the offering so we're proud to offer evidence-backed medication and, and really effective strategies with ongoing support from psychiatrists but let's say that that's table stakes you have to do that to have a credible offering in market from there then it's about what you say and how you show up so we mentioned throughout our collateral this is evidence-backed medication. We will be with you by your side. This is not a start with you and then abandon you. We're there with you every step of the way because people wanted to know that they would have that support. So you will see that come through in all of our messaging, but it's also how you show up and it's in little things too. We show pictures of, of some of our advisors on, on the site, for instance, that we have worked with to develop these medical processes. And you can imagine if, if any old headshot were, were given to us, how quickly that that could start to erode trust. If it looks like one person took it in a living room and another person took it in a backyard or another person took it in an office, that consistency, that polish across the visuals that you use really helps up the trust factor when you're explaining these types of products.
0: Yes. And to your point, I think you made previously, this was a pretty big bet for hims and hers and, you know, with some meaningful risk versus a small feature with lower risk. And so in such a sensitive topic, especially as people are feeling isolated right now, as you started building out your go-to-market strategy, walk me through, you know, how you started thinking through the approach that you took.
1: Totally. I I would say, it was a lot of those things we we hit on understanding what the competition isn't doing that we should do, understanding the different types of segments in the market and how we would offer different products for different needs, and how I would build on that that learning lead up to that Ready Riley is how we expect these products to work together. So as we work. toward having these anonymous support groups. As we launched psychiatry, we have announced that we're next working on -on one-on-one therapy. We expect people to use these products sort of sequentially if they're not in one of those kinds of ready, riley kinds of states of mind. So you would start with an anonymous support group, see if you even like it. If you did, you might watch some of our resources and content, and that might inspire you to actually uh, use therapy one-on-one. So when we think about that, go to market. We really have to have the right site experience and the right owned channel experience to nudge you along and nurture you from stepping stone product to stepping stone product. We also have to make sure to use your word again, education is present throughout that. What are things I could be doing to alleviate my mental health concerns? What we often do is from the anonymous support groups, our uh, providers have great strategies that they mentioned in those live sessions. We'll recap some of the highlights and send them back out their email or we will use them um, for our, our organic social channel. So we create this content flywheel of the great advice that our mental health providers are telling our customers and then distributing it more broadly so we can increase that perceived credibility and trust and help more people. I would then say the main thing that we thought about after that, when it comes to, okay, well, what are some of the lead value props that we need to land? Well, we spent a lot of time understanding feelings. A lot of these value props are about making people feel something. For support groups, we had heard that they wanted to feel not so alone. People didn't want to feel like they were the only one starting to have questions about how to handle their relationship as they were feeling more cooped up during COVID. We had a lot of people say, you know what, my partner's starting to irk me in a way that I never noticed before. And it's actually super helpful to feel that there are a lot of people going through the exact same thing. So we, we focus on a bunch of our, our messaging feel together. In terms of that psychiatry product that we launched, we really focused on feeling like yourself again. We saw so many reviews as people went through different types of psychiatry and medication products um, before we launched where people talked about, you know, I'm I'm finally feeling normal. I am feeling back to my old self. So we leaned into that. That is the reason that you would do this is you want to feel like yourself again.
0: That is so... Important too, to make sure that you're weaving the behavior and emotions of your customers into everything that you're doing, into every message, along with every channel mixed strategy. And as you are building out your your channel mixed strategy, what do you think are the right questions to be asking yourself as a product marketer as to which channels to activate at what time to reach your customers in the best way?
1: The, the stance we like to take is how can we accelerate learnings really quickly and try a number of channels because there are definitely interaction effects between your message, the type of product, and the channel that you're working in, in terms of things like perceived trust and credibility. I'll give you an example. Is audio a channel that we should consider? Because many people are new to the idea uh, of, of therapy and or psychiatry of investing in their mental health in this way. So hearing it from a really familiar voice that's in their ears every week could help them see the offering is more credible than a search ad or display ad. Now, those also play a very important role, but we test these all concurrently to figure out what messages are landing best with which audiences, those Ready Rileys, those higher intent people versus those Learning leads at different points in their journey.
0: Wow. I really have not thought much about audio in relation to static ads, but that's, that is really fascinating. And I think that hims and hers has done a really fantastic job with getting creative with product launches that don't feel too templatized. Where do you feel, or what do you feel was the most creative or favorite part of this specific launch that you did?
1: That's a great question. I would say one of the things that we worked hard to do is make sure we always had a new reason to have permission to talk to you i'll give you an example as people have probably noticed there has been an election this year maybe on a couple people's minds and what we saw is many more people were feeling stressed irritable anxious and and we actually put out a support group that we call star stripes and stress how to navigate election anxiety what i mean by giving permission is that gives us a new reason to reach out in organic social in email and lifecycle communications to push it on the site because it is so top of mind. So you can actually use little tweaks and refinements to your product offering to help people remember it and come back to it consider it again. We've also started to do this for, as we get into winter and the darker months, the days are shorter, some content on winter blues and having some of our mental health providers talk to how to deal with uh, seasonal affective disorder or whether they're just feeling down as it gets dark. So I would say what, what I've been really proud of the team for doing is being nimble with that content and saying, well, how do we keep this fresh so we have a new reason to keep talking to you with something valuable?
0: And I think you, you really hit the, the nail on the head there when you mentioned coming up with content that is relevant and seasonal and being able to you know, almost throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. How do you think about prioritizing testing new channels and, and new content versus the tried and true? And how do you get buy-in from stakeholders when thinking through, okay, we're going to spend X amount of time on this new strategy?
1: I like to think of it almost as a 50-50 split. Let's say you are in a sprint with your creative and and channel partner teams where you are testing out four new concepts. You're briefing in four new concepts to get different visuals, videos, copy back. What I try to do is have two of those buckets be things that are doubling down on what you are already seeing working. The other two should be new buckets. Try a different angle. Is it affordability? Is it uh, credibility? Is it urgency? Lean into something else because what I have seen is it's really, really easy to get stuck what I would call a local maximum. If you think back to some of those calculus lessons, if you remember solving for the local maximum, that's that point on the graph that isn't the highest within a certain section, but there actually might be a much, much higher peak if you keep looking a little further down that graph. What we wanna do is make sure that we are not zeroing in on that one little mini mountain. We want to find the biggest mountain. So that approach of a 50-50 testing, doubling down in two of the buckets on what you, um, already know is working and exploring two new broader buckets and the other ones helps you get the best of both of those worlds.
0: Yes. Exploration with new channels. I, I love that. I love that mountain analogy. And, and as a product marketing leader who is in a a growth stage startup managing both the strategy and execution. How do you manage both when working on such massive campaigns and product launches such as this? I
1: would say one of
0: um, the, the best tools at a product marketer's disposal
1: is that go to market strategy deck. We spend a lot of time thinking about it and it is really valuable to centralize what all of your partners are going to be working on for the product. What are those benefits? What is the main value prop? What is that art direction? How is this coming to life? That helps you set a clear path forward in terms of the strategy. And then also... Let your partner teams be a little more self-serve. So they're not always coming to you for every line that they need updated, but they know that the benefits are privacy, effectiveness, trust, et cetera, et cetera. The more that you can centralize your go-to-market strategy and provide it in digestible formats for your partner teams, the more you will scale your work.
0: I completely agree. I think I saw this analogy somewhere that, you know, a product marketer uh, can either be a water boy or a quarterback, and it really comes down to having that structured go-to-market strategy, because if you don't, you end up being the water boy, just funneling information back and forth rather than quarterbacking the team and really leading the execution of a go-to-market. I Um, love that.
1: I've never heard that, but so, so right.
0: You can steal it. You can borrow it. (laughs) So in terms of, you know, you've launched mental health for hims and hers, there are still some more products that are coming soon within this new product category. Knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently or wish you knew before you began the process of launching this product?
1: Upon reflection, I would say little things can really make a difference. I'll give you an example. We have two sites, we have one for him's, we have one for hers. What we had done early on as we were getting some of these initial iterations up is we used a lot of the same design elements across both. However, what you can imagine is women may even pick up on, hey, is that a male therapist? Is that a male psychiatrist? And so we had inadvertently used some of the same imagery across sites and we heard feedback from our customers. Actually, I'd I'd be more comfortable talking to a woman if if I'm a woman. So what you don't want to do is you don't want people to discount what you have to say for something easy like that. And and really the, the way you get around that is putting things in front of customers. If you have the luxury of time and can do some user testing, get some qualitative reactions, fabulous. If you do not, make sure that after you've launched, look out for those comments. What are people saying on social? What are they saying to customer support? Can you do a round of user testing then? But you'll pick up on these little things that may feel small to you, but actually feel big to customers.
0: I mean, I think that's the perfect, this like send off to, to drive us uh, home, which is listen to your customers, listen to your customers, because they really will provide feedback on what's working and what's not working. And, and as a product marketer, it's our responsibility to quickly iterate and, and make changes for the customer's best interest. That kind of leads us into my next question, which is, you know, being a great product marketer really does come down to understanding the customer and being an advocate for that customer. And I think what we commonly refer to in the industry as be the voice of the customer. And I feel like I hear this all the time, which is, you know, product marketers, be the voice of the customer, be the voice of the customer. But what does that actually mean to you? And what does this look like in practice at Hims and Hers?
1: I would say it shows up in every touch point. What's fabulous about hims and hers is there's actually more product marketing to do than I've had to do in other roles and that we have both digital and physical world experiences. So every touch point needs to speak to how much we understand what a customer is looking for. If you're strolling down the aisle at a target where we have many of our products and are trying to understand why you should give our shampoo, your dollars versus many of the other competitors, we need to be very succinct on that product marketing value and story that we're telling on that package. It needs to trickle down into the experience digitally too, as people are getting recommendations from the expert providers who use our platform, this site, Even that postcard that may come in a box as the medicine or non-prescription product that you ordered shows up at your door. Every one of those needs to meet you where you are and understand what you're worried about. When showing up at your door, you're probably worried about how you use it. We need to speak to that. When it's on shelf, you probably wanna know what it's going to do better than the other products around it. We need to speak to that. Every moment needs to be contextual. That's how you win.
0: And I think, you know, kind of Continuing on that point, I think the unique thing about consumer product marketing today versus the more B2B product marketing in our space is the impact that we have and the opportunity to demonstrate our value props or express our brands or our products throughout many different channels. And we have the unique opportunity to create these close connections with consumers. And so in your opinion, what do you think the biggest opportunity is for consumer product marketing that's unique to consumer product marketing versus more B2B product marketing?
1: I would say I've seen a lot of, tech focus or B2B product marketing stay in the realm of more functional marketing. It just sort of hits you with the specs, hits you with the features. But what that omits is the fact that we're all humans and that we're all hardwired to love stories. If if you think back millennia, our ancestors told stories about where to look for food, Stories of El Dorado, the Golden City, inspired explorers to spend lots and lots of time and capital to find it. We are so Motivated by stories. There's some great research that when we hear stories, we're actually getting more oxytocin produced in the brain, which makes us more empathetic, more likely to visualize ourselves in the story, more likely to do the thing being talked about in the story. I recently gave a talk on this. I have a framework that I use called the 360 storytelling framework that makes sure you cover the story from all the angles. Five, five quick things to understand. One, is your story centered around the real problem? Many people uh, focus on what I would call a decoy problem. They say, oh, people are buying this acne cream just to clear their skin. No, what we heard from our customers is they want healthy skin, which is not just clear skin, it's hydrated skin too. Okay, so great. Now we understand the real problem. So what we do there is we have to message this. So that's, that's the first segment after the problem. You need a message that is unique in market. Where many people fall flat is after you say it, you also need to show it. Many people forget that the visuals need to directly pay off that benefit. So when I say hydration, we use water. We we use a lot of water in our assets to pay that off because people wanna get that hydration really quickly. The last two bits there are name it. If you can, your names need to pay off that value prop. A lot of product marketers are very comfortable in the descriptive naming land. So that might be acne cream. That might be something way more functional, but people in consumer product marketing They wanna see something more, they wanna believe the story, your product name needs to reflect that. And lastly, feel it. If that story ends when the product is in their hands, you're not going to get as far as you want. People need to feel the hydration. What we did in this skincare example is we actually made sure that the ingredients were kind of oceany. One of our cleansers has red seaweed extract to pay that off. That's how you say it, you show it, you name it, you feel it. I think that this is where consumer product marketing needs to go. People want to fall in love with your products. You just need to tell the right story.
0: Wow. Well, I truly believe you are one of the, the best storytellers I, I, I know in the product marketing space. I think I found your product marketing superpower. I also know that you do a lot of storytelling on your LinkedIn. So where can people follow you to hear more of your stories? And I know that you also do some talking engagements as well. So where can people follow to, to hear you more?
1: I would love if folks just hopped on over to my LinkedIn profile. That's for Alex Shaheen. Hit that follow button if you're interested in snackable uh, product marketing and behavioral economics insights every week.
0: I love that. Alex, thank you so much. This has been a really insightful chat and thank you for giving us a behind the scenes look at hims and hers recent product launch of mental health. We're really excited to watch the progress of this product. So thanks again.
1: Thank you, Meredith. I think we may actually have Captain Hook, Captain Von Trapp and Prince Charming to thank, but I'll take a little bit of credit too.
0: (laughs) All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, Bye everyone.